0: Hey good morning everybody it is so good to be with you today joining us online we are excited for uh, the season that we're moving in as you just heard from Pastor John about Lent and what we're going to be doing collectively as a church body and uh, I trust that you'll take that challenge and I trust that you'll be a part of it really looking forward to it listen we're going to continue in our sermon series it's an upside down world and today specifically I'm going to be talking uh, to you and sharing with you some thoughts from the verses in Matthew chapter five, verses 33 through 37. Now you can go ahead and get there, but just for a minute, I want to pause and just kind of come out of my uh, the sermon mode for a second and say, happy Valentine's day. It is so good to uh, have a day like this where we can spend a little bit of time reflecting on uh, love. And it is a good thing. Love is a good thing. It really is. And uh, I trust that many of you have already maybe uh, either said or shared something special with that someone special or your family members, whatever it is. It's always been kind of fun, you know, getting the little Valentine cards and the hearts and all of that type of stuff. But I trust that you have done that. Um, I made sure that I did it. So I feel like I'm in good shape right now. But anyway, I really want to encourage you to, uh, if you haven't done it yet, there's still time. You've got until at least 11.59 p.m. tonight to make that happen. So there you go. Also, another fun fact for the Roe family. You're just going to, you're going to be wowed at this one. Did you know that not only is there one Roe preaching today, there are two rows preaching today. Many of you know that my daughter, Victoria, is the worship arts pastor, like Pastor John is here, uh, at Framework Church up in Presque Isle, Maine, and she is preaching today as well. And uh, she shared with me all of her sermon notes, so she said, Dad, you can do... No, I'm just kidding. But we're really excited to be able to do that together. Um, Totally different uh, sermons, but I'm, as a dad... Man, it just warms my heart to think about that. So thanks for bearing with me on that. Just a little bit of a good feeling happening in that. So are you there in Matthew chapter 5? Yeah, I trust you are. Um, If you haven't, you can let Pastor Ben or Pastor Mike know, hey, tell him to wait a minute. I haven't got there yet. You've got time to turn to Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37. And before we jump into the word, can we pray? Can we just commit this time to the Lord? Let's do that. Oh, Father, it is a huge privilege to be able to come into your presence boldly because of what your son, Jesus Christ, has done for us, for the entire world, for all time. He has made a way that we can have access to you. And Father God, it is and has been and always will be your plan for him to be the savior of this world. And Father, we thank you that we have just a few moments even today to gather together, not just in the Crosspoint body, but in the collective body of the global church around the world to worship you. And Father, we know that we may never, ever have any idea who is worshiping today on the other side of the globe but we are all collectively doing it and lifting up our praise and expecting great things and an incredible move of your Holy Spirit in your church today. And so we ask, Father God, at the outset of this sermon, at the outset of our time, paying attention to your word, listening to your spirit speak to our hearts, me included, that you, Lord, would just soften us, prepare us, Father, in Jesus' name, we take authority and ask that you would remove any distractions that the enemy would try to keep us from hearing from you. He cannot do it because you have conquered him and you are over him, Lord. And we ask for your favor and your presence to be with us during this time. And now, Father, as we have read many times before, And you have heard when the psalmist wrote these words, we pray this as well. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer during this time. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Good. Well, listen, we are in this uh, continued series of the uh, It's an Upside Down World, the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, I want to let you know that the Sermon on the Mount includes some of the most well-known teachings of Jesus. Jesus didn't come to replace the law, and that's really what he's addressing here in this sermon. He didn't come to replace the law. Rather, Jesus came to fulfill completely all of the things within the law. He spoke in a way all could understand, but in the sermon, what he's doing here is he is taking time specifically to pull in close to him, his disciples. If you start at the beginning and you read, you'll hear the words that have told us that Jesus pulled away to a mountainside and he brought with him his disciples. Yes, it also speaks of a mass amount of people gathering and they too came to hear Jesus Some of them were his disciples, but specifically the 12, he was wanting to pull aside and to really pour into them and to teach. And he spoke in a way to them as well as to all of those that were listening to him in a way that all could understand. But this particular sermon was just specifically very detailed to those that he was teaching. Every word in the Sermon on the Mount was intentional it was full of wisdom to live by. That's the way Jesus was. Everything he spoke, spoke volumes of wisdom to live by practical lives, not just rules to religiously follow. And that's why he came was to um, fulfill the law. Okay. And that's all that it was. It wasn't about religiously following some sort of set of rules. Dr. J.T. Pennington, who's a prolific writer uh, in North America, wrote this. He said, Jesus' message in the Sermon on the Mount is that God is our Father who sees and cares about the heart, not just the external righteous deeds of religion. That's what he wrote, and it's true. The tone and the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount radical teachings. They were radical to his disciples. They were radical teachings to all those that heard. But He understood all those who are gathering together with him to hear him speak. And what it tells us is that he went away and he sat down on a mountainside explaining the law. Now, I just want to pull back just a minute and give you, there is a significance in that particular uh, thing that he did by pulling away and sitting down on the mountainside. What this was, and you have to keep in mind, this is who Jesus was was the typical posture that a senior teacher or a senior rabbi would do. He would take those that were listening, especially his students or his disciples, his apprentices, if you will, he would take them and he would sit down before them and he would begin to teach. And that's what he was doing. And it would happen before the teacher explained the law. Here we see Jesus standing at the height of his popularity, he was at the pinnacle of his popularity among the people that he came to, uh, to seek and to save all those that were lost. And he was at the height of his popularity there. Although his ministry touched the masses, and we read many accounts in the Word of a lot of people gathering together to hear him speak, he saw the need to teach his disciples very closely that day. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to challenge you, and I'm going to ask you who are gathering and listening today to listen closely to Jesus as his disciples in 2021. That's what I'm asking you to do. And so here we go. We're going to jump into Matthew chapter 5, excuse me, verses 33 through 37. And specifically, I'm giving you the, uh, the heads up on this specifically 37 is the one that we're really going to draw from but we need to read the whole section of what this is about first and it's talking about vows or or making a vow or making an oath but to do that you actually had to use words you had to speak truth to make this happen and so this is what he's teaching about in this particular point it says in verse 33 you have also heard that our ancestors were told you must not break your vows You must carry out the vows you make to the Lord. Jesus is talking, but I say, do not make any vows. Do not say by heaven, because heaven is God's throne. And do not say by earth, because the earth is his footstool. And do not say by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Do not even say by my head, for you can't turn one hair white or black. Just say, and this is verse 37. This is the one I really want you to pay attention to. Just say a simple yes, I will, or no, I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. And so I really wanted you to uh, to hear the words that Jesus is speaking here and the truth that he is speaking in these. As we've seen, and if you've taken time to read in Pastor John and, and uh and Pastor John, both Johns, have preached about verses within the context of the Sermon on the Mount. And you've seen in the previous verses, if you've been reading chapter 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew, which entails the entire sermon, Jesus has been explaining for us the exceeding righteousness he mentioned here. Or to put it another way, Jesus has been explaining the commands of God that he himself is fulfilling. Now, I want you to understand that back in verse 17 of chapter 5, you can turn there if you want to. I'm going to read it to you. Just listen to this. Pay very close attention to this verse. Jesus says, Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish or, if you will, demolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No. I came to accomplish. And what he's saying here is, I came to fulfill their purpose. And one of the ways that he fulfills these commands is by bringing out their fullness of it. For us as his followers, or for another way to think about how this happens is, Jesus is saying this, I am going to put it all together all of the law. I'm going to put it all together and I'm going to pull it all together in a vast panorama. Now, I use that word panorama simply because what we read in the dictionary gives us an incredible idea of the, the uh, definition of panorama and what Jesus is doing about the entire law. If you look it up about the panorama in the dictionary, it says it is an unbroken view of the whole, W-H-O-L-E. And that's what Jesus is doing. He is putting the whole law together and he is pulling the whole law together so that we can have a vast panorama or an unbroken view of how it applies to our entire life as humans on this earth, and what God has in store for us. So we hear Jesus doing this very thing by speaking to topics like murder, and adultery, and divorce. And those are things that weren't just back then. During that day, they're prevalent today as well. So what exactly did Jesus do to bring out the fullness of God's commands in these things that we read in the Sermon on the Mount? He moved us past the outward actions And he focused on the heart. Because really, that's where everything starts, is within the heart, right? What kind of heart eventually, I'm going to ask you this question, what kind of heart eventually expresses itself in things like murder and adultery and divorce? Well, a heart poisoned by anger. And Jesus refers to murder and anger as kind of on the same level. So you think about a heart that has been poisoned by anger. Usually that happens when people murder. How about a corrupted heart by lust? That usually happens in adultery. Or maybe in divorce, it's all about a heart that is self-centered, excuse me, more focused on me, myself, and I, rather than us as the team, when it's speaking in that area. And so as we move along with that, we read that there are six times in this Sermon on the Mount that we see Jesus contrasting how the Jewish teachers interpreted and taught the law, and then how Jesus interpreted and taught it. Sorry about the voice. Bear with me. As Jesus is making clear in his teachings like these here, our problem is not simply what we do wrong on the outside, And a lot of times when we see uh, news stories that have to deal with these things, it's all things that we can see the outward uh, result of something that has happened. It's who we are on the inside that really brings these things forward. How are we being spiritually formed on the inside? I ask you that as followers of Christ. Or anybody that's tuning in today and hearing the words from my mouth. And Jesus is here to fulfill all the law and to move us to become people who who live. And then I want you to get this. Because this is where where we're really going to spend the bulk of our time this morning. Who live and speak truth against the lies of the evil one. There's a lot of speaking going on in this world today. By probably the vast amount of people. In fact, that's how we communicate is we speak words. It's a no-brainer. But there's a lot of stuff that's being spoken today. So all of this brings us to an important question. Think about this one. If Jesus is talking here about something that you do with your mouth, actually speaking words of truth, is he also telling you something about your heart? Sit on that a minute. Absolutely, it is. Think of a moment with me. What is Jesus doing in this chapter? Read it if you haven't. He's been guiding us in terms of the heart because everything that He's spoken to us about in the verses preceding it and in the verses following it and in the ones we read today all deal with something about the heart. He's been guiding us in those terms and he's doing the very same thing here with us today in 2021. He's describing for us the righteousness of the kingdom. In other words, the quality of being morally right. And I really want you as part of the body of Christ to understand that we are called to be morally right with this in this day and age. He's describing the man and the woman who follows him. That's what he's describing here. What exactly does that mean, you might ask? Think about this. It has to do with truthfulness and faithfulness and trustworthiness, with loyalty, with constancy, being constant, with honesty, with dependability, and with responsibility. When a person is thought of in those particular terms that I just listed out there, then you hear their words very clearly. Why? Because that person's everyday life has already established his or her credibility with those that they are around. So their words matter. You see, Jesus is pointing us to the issue of our character or our integrity. Do you speak truth in all things, everything? Think about that for a moment. I asked myself that question. That's why I put it in here, because I want to hear from you. Are you a person of your word? That is, will you actually do what you've said you'll do? Can you be relied on? Are you trustworthy? Do you have a reputation for being honest, dependable, responsible? Would people who are in your life trust you with all of their struggles? With their difficult or rough moments in their lives? With their vehicle? With their children? With their lives. Do you want to build yourself, in other words, to establish your spiritual formation on the Word of God? I trust that it's a resounding yes. The man and the woman who goes all out to be that kind of person who feels confident that most people do think of them in those terms, that person has no need to say anything but yes or no. Their words are rock solid. The people around should be able to say, if he or she said yes, then they'll do it. If she said no, or he said no, then I believe them. That's the way it should be with us in everything, wherever we find ourselves, face-to-face with people, or online, on social media. Dr. Jerry Reeb says this, and he's a lead pastor out on the West Coast in California. He said, there are many words out there that are fighting for our attention today. Do you agree with me? If you agree with me, say, I agree in the chat section there with Pastor Ben and Pastor Mike. Think about that. They're fighting for our attention. They really are. He goes on to say, much of it is filled with partial or no truth whatsoever, though. This particular truth is very sparse. Our world is a very confusing and confused place. No question there. I find myself today more than ever, this is what he said, sifting everything. So I say to you, do you yourself do the same thing? Are you sifting through all of these things? I feel as followers of Jesus, we need to put it through that fine screen sifter. Kind of like the ones that a baker would use with the flour They don't want clumpy stuff. They want the fine, sifted, pure stuff coming out. And we should do that with everything that we do. We should put it through the fine screen sifter of God's word. Everything that we read, everything that we watch, everything that we say. Because if we don't, the world will steer us away down a very slippery slope. Or we might be the cause of steering somebody away as well down a very slippery slope. Today, there's an urgent shortage of truth. There, these, these days that we live in are very serious days. Think about this, never before in the history have people had so much access to information coming from books, how to do it, social media platforms, newspapers, television, at such a huge volume It's like drinking from a fire hydrant. Now, as a firefighter, I understand the analogy with this because if I were to go and open up a fire hydrant and then try to take a drink from that fire hydrant, as all the force and the volumes of water are coming out of that, I'm going to get blown away down the street because of the force that it is and probably not going to get a very good drink. It might even drown or at least spend a little bit of time gagging on it. But there is also in this here a very pervasive indifference, sorry, a very pervasive indifference to truth-telling, and I want to just stop there and kind of give you the, um, the definition of the pervasive indifference that I'm talking about. The dictionary says pervasive is especially of an unwelcome influence or physical effect, and then indifference Oh, and then it also says about pervasive, spreading widely throughout an area or a group of people. That's what happens. And then indifference is a lack of interest, concern, or sympathy. So, there is a pervasive indifference to truth-telling today. And this has infected our day-to-day conversations as we think about this. In the Sermon on the Mount that we're talking about, Jesus exposes our tendencies to break with truth-telling. It's extremely easy to get caught up in this particular stuff, especially in the social media realm, been there, done that, which impacts the real world that we live in. It does have an effect on it, no question. This is precisely why we as the church, God's family, should also be known as credible people even there, especially there. And why should we, you might be saying, well, why is he picking on social media? Because it's such a big deal today. It really is. And this is what I want, is every word that we have, whatever we say in person or there, needs to be checked. And why should we try very hard as the body of Christ to be credible people? We should be characterized by such things as what God's word says. Because if we belong to Jesus... By grace, through faith, then we are a children of a faithful, loyal, trustworthy, honest, constant, dependable father. Our God always keeps his word. Our God always tells the truth. I can trust him. You can trust him. With everything. Even your very life. I have. I've entrusted my life to him. As followers of Jesus, we've been called to reflect God in everything that we do. Yes, in all of our words, but also in all of our ways and how we love our neighbors. You've heard me speak about that in the past, about how we love our neighbors. And this is how we do it. I love the way Apostle Paul uh, shares with um, him wanting for people to see in his life um, that the people that he was ministering to, Uh, The things that God was doing by the way he lived and by the way he spoke, not because he experienced some supernatural thing himself. He wanted to be a testimony in everything that God was at work and had changed his life and was guiding and directing him. In other words, he wanted to be based on his everyday life among those people as one who is filled with the truth that God has placed inside him. Is that your desire? Do you go all out to reflect the faithfulness of God in all of your relationships? Is this your goal in life for your reputation that you have to reflect your Redeemer? I'm just asking the question. I ask it to myself as well. If you do, then let me suggest that maybe we should acknowledge our failings when it comes to our credibility. All of us can struggle with being trustworthy because all of us struggle with with trusting ourselves before God. And for some, that attitude can lead us to a lot of broken promises, a lot of excuse-making, been there, done that, and the formation of a very shaky reputation. But for others of us, that attitude leads to a life of non-commitment, and that's not a good place to be as followers of Christ. A person may not be considered trustworthy Not because they've betrayed a trust, but because they've never earned it. Some of us tend to pull back when it comes to responsibility and dependability in hard times. I get it. I get that. Of course, there are exceptions to this in terms of hard seasons and circumstances in the life of people. But for most of us, we recognize the ways that we are being tempted to put love of self over the responsibilities that we have to those around us. You have people in your sphere of influence around you. And that includes in person, in your homes, at work, school, in your city, driving, and online. It's there. Jesus' words and his life is the example that we're to model our lives after. What he's doing in this Sermon on the Mount is he is peeling the paint off of all the self-righteousness of our lives. Not to wound us, but to heal us and to forgive us and to show us a better way, a more fulfilling way. Jesus said this, you have heard it said, and he would share something and then he would say right after that, But I say to you, that is good news. That we're not driven by the words of the law. We're driven by the words of Jesus fulfilling the law. Because Jesus didn't change the law. He fulfilled it and made a way for us to be redeemed. I love it. We see in verse 37, Jesus' standard, which was the uncompromised truth at all times. I want to challenge you with that at all times. Our words and our lives are communicating to a watching and a listening world at all times. Dr. Jerry Reeb again shared six principles of communication, and I want to share those with you as we close today. And these six uh, principles of communication come from the book of James, but they go hand in hand with Jesus going six times, you have heard it said, but I say to you, Listen to these as I go down through them rather quickly. They're all from James chapter three. We're not gonna have the verses on the screen. You can look them up at a later moment, but I'm gonna give you these six principles rather quickly. So pay attention real quickly with me. Number one, speaking of words and how we do it with all the things that are going on in our lives and all the things that we have. Number one, our words are evidence of our level of spiritual maturity. Clear indicator of where you are spiritually in your maturity is our words. It's time to think before you engage. Think about it, and then engage it. Your spiritual maturity is on the line. Let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Number two, our words work like a rudder on a ship. They set the direction of our lives, and the words that we say can also set the direction of other people's lives. So that's in James chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. Our words, number three, can be destructive and dangerous well beyond anything that we could even imagine and fear. They can be hurtful to people. Number four, only God can tame the tongue. Dave Rowe can't tame his tongue. God can. Number five, God expects you to use your words, listen to this, to bless others not to curse them. Use your words to bless, to strengthen, and to encourage others, to build them up. This pattern, it's a pattern of truth-telling, truthful in all things. Don't get caught. And then the last one, number six, God desires us to be consistently truthful. I Struggled with things like that in my life in the past, but he desires for us to be consistently truthful. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, it says, don't use foul or abusive language. But listen to this. This is what I really want you to catch from this verse. You're not going to get it on the screen, but it's Ephesians four twenty-nine. It says, let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. This strengthens other people. Let's tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth, and let His words be the source of our spiritual formation. With our words and our life, it's put this way Let our yes be yes, and our courageous no be no. Anything else is outside of God's kingdom. In His kingdom, there is one thing that we can count on He told us the truth, He is the truth. And he expects us to be the same with each other. And so it's an exciting challenge that I want to pose to you. Let's take the initiative. Let's be the ones that drive the offensive about saying blessing words rather than cursing in all areas of our lives. Let's take the initiative with everybody that we engage with. And I hope this has been an encouragement with you today. Our words, are our lives, they're communicating to a watching and a listening world at all times. Your yes, your no, the whole truth.